<laughs> Crystal, that was fast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I just sent it, and you're already here. That's amazing. <laughs> and Logan is there too. Here I am. Um, uh, you're just gonna do the introduction here, real quick. We are having Crystal Soulman here today. Pots to go. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. And thank you. yes, thank you for being on the show today. And I have to find the song here. I'm just scrolling and I'm trying to talk at the same time. It's not working. Here you go. I think I got it. Wow, that was noisy. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? Oh, good. Good. Yes. Great. Yeah, it's been a hot couple of days, I guess, right? Definitely. It felt really nice. Yes. Yeah, I had uh, one of my kids, he's five months, and I had him outside and just in one in this onesie, and he just, like, the one where he cuts off and doesn't have legs. And it's just chilling outside, in the shade, of course. Yeah, of course. Okay, so, Crystal, you are a potter, right? Correct. This is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I Honestly, I have never tried it. So in school, when I was like grade three or four, we did clay, like where you, you sculpture something and then you bake it. Right. But I have never done pottery and I've, I am just amazed at your work. So if you, you, you said you started in 2006 or something like that, right? Yes. My second was eight months old when I started. Okay. How, how did that happen? You just suddenly, did you go on the workshop or something? Um, yeah, I took a class with my sister who had sort of always been taking pottery on and off throughout the years. And um, we had just moved to a new town um, in Alberta. And uh, okay. every little town in Alberta has like their own little guilds. Um, right. So she wanted to try the guild in the town that I was working or living in. And um, so I went with her and um, we just kind of stuck to it and it was a good escape from being a mom, I guess. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Yeah, you, you need that. Eh? Like, you have to be, have like your own identity or whatever, right? I think it's really important to have your own time, even if you're a parent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, and sometimes it's hard to say, hey, I want to make my own time because you feel guilty maybe sometimes too. Uh, yeah. And I mean, life is busy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What does a, what's a guilt mean? This is just like, is, this sounds like middle age. Um, a guild is what they refer to like a group of, I don't know, artists that are together doing like so they in Alberta where I was we actually had like a location and so the guild was like a group of people who had memberships um okay and we used the same studio space and had sales together and stuff and then um, right yeah so that's that's very helpful right when you work together yeah yeah it's nice to have um the support of other people and teaching and that's kind of sharing of knowledge yeah were you were you a natural then? Because you you did this and then you were you must be like. Did you ever do something like that before? Um, I never took an art class in school after grade eight. <laughs> okay, okay. And, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always did like crafting type things and stuff. I liked um, 
I like got a scroll saw and did woodworking, just that oh, yeah. kind of stuff. Um, I kind of discovered that woodworking wasn't gonna work for me because I was allergic to like the sawdust and stuff, <laughs> just certain types uh, of yeah. woods. So that was sort of short lived. But um, yeah, that's tricky. Yeah, you definitely and cannot then, get away from sawdust. Yeah. So then, no, uh, I did. Sorry. <laughs> so then uh, clay was nice because I wasn't allergic to any aspect of that. So some people are mm-hmm. it's definitely yeah. Uh, clay grows mold. So some people have issues with that, but um, I don't, I don't have issues with it. So it's been, been good that I've been able to stick with it. Very nice. Where, where do you get your clay from? Um, I actually use commercially, produce clay from Alberta because I started in Alberta and um, all the clays are very different. So um, I, 100%. I tried to use other clay and I went back to the clay that I used when I first learned. So um, it's called the company that I guess mines the clay um, is uh, called Plainsman. Okay. And um, so they develop it and make it in Alberta and then I get it in boxes. So yeah, does it, cool. does it come in squares, just like packed and vacuum packed then so it doesn't dry out or something like that? Um, it's not vacuum packed, but um, when they actually make the clay, they vacuum out the air from it. Um, oh, wow. And then put it into, yeah, mm-hmm. the, each box it has two plastic bags worth of a rectangle shaped clay. So it's like, I don't know, 20 pounds each bo- each bag or something. Uh, okay, so big. Yeah, it's no, 20 pounds is not too. Yeah, maybe, exactly. right? 20 pounds is quite a lot. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a one big bag of potatoes. It's expensive yeah. to ship, so. Oh, yeah. Some, pe- yeah, because some of the people weight. order powder. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're shipping water sometimes, but um, some people order mm. powder and then mix it from the powder form and mix up their own. Um, but I've just never been interested in that aspect. I like the uh, consistency of having the clay do one thing because there's so many other variables that can go wrong. I don't need to make my recipe wrong. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. And then how do you have to store it? Um, it can't freeze. So I store mine in uh, my laundry room, actually. <laughs> yeah. Right beside oh, well. the washer and dryer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I just bring, actually bring a bag of it to the studio at a time when I need to use it. So mm-hmm. do, you, do you feel, is it like you're using the, when you open it up the and you don't use the 20 pounds right away, it's still good for a little while oh. before you have to use it or. Oh yeah. Yeah. You just keep it uh, in plastic and um, it's good. So I either, I either put it in like a Rubbermaid container and seal mm-hmm. that or yeah. I, or I leave it in the, in the bags that it comes in. Okay. What was what was the first piece you made then? Um a little bowl actually. Yes. About the size. I've seen it. <laughs> on Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah, oatmeal colored bowl. Mm-hmm. Um it's pretty <laughs> nice. tiny. <laughs> it's pretty tiny and I'm pretty sure the teacher trimmed it. Okay. So cause you What does that mean trimmed it? Cuz you throw the throw the piece on the wheel and then you let it dry. Um, to what they call leather is leather hard and then you flip it over and you have to trim the bottom of it because you mm-hmm. gravity wouldn't let you throw the bowl the way it looks with 
a tiny gotcha. base, <laughs> it would flop over. So, so you flip it oh, over and trim it. Okay. When I when I made like the honey pots that I just made, I um because the sides are straighter, I usually trim away as much of the clay when it's wet as I can, so that I just have to flip it over and do like one little cleanup of the edge that was attached to the bat, because it's easier that way. But when you're okay. making a bowl, so you... you have to trim it. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, bowls and plates. And the okay, and the honey pots, even though that they're this high, gravity can't get them. Well, it's because like a a bowl has like the open space and goes outwards, so cylinders are fine. But as soon as you open that cylinder up, then depending on how wet your clay is, it gravity can take hold of it and make it flop. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And how do you do those lids on the honeypots then? Because, like, you have a flat surface and then you have something in the middle. Yeah. The grip. Um, so I throw them like a little flat bowl plate upside down. And then I flip them over and trim them into the curve. And then I throw the knob separately and then attach the knob to it. Uh, okay. So they're made in two parts. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Okay, so let's go a little bit back to the early beginnings, right? Okay. You you did that bowl, and then um, you said, this is really nice, and you were really good at it, too. <laughs> I wasn't, <laughs> Which really, is... <laughs> but I liked it. <laughs> um, did you paint the bowl as well? Um, what, we, what I do when I glaze my pieces is That's I usually nice. dip them in a bucket. So I don't okay. actually hand paint very much of my stuff that I make. Some some things are, but very little. Mm -hmm. so the, is the glaze sorry. mostly decorat decoratively, or is it good for um, protection as well? Um, yeah, what it does is seals the, um, makes the clay so that it's not porous. It creates like a glass layer over the outside of the clay. So it's... Um, um, makes it food safe if you do it right, I guess. <laughs> Not all glazes are food right, safe, yeah. but um, but yeah. So it's yeah. like a chemical process of mixing um, mixing different types of chemicals together. In a then they're all powdered formed, and then you add water to it and mix it all up, and then um, the the um, the piece itself has goes through the kiln once. And um, they call that bisque when it comes out. And it, it, I don't know, it's white, so I guess it looks like a biscuit. Um, mm. And then it's still porous at that stage. It'll still absorb water. So then when you dip it mm -hmm. into the glaze bucket, or if you're painting, same thing, you'd be painting on something wet. Um, and then um, it would dry back to the powder form. And so then you put it in when you put it back into the kiln it's got this powdery layer on the outside that's dry and then that as the temperature raises it's like a glass and it melts uh, okay. and so you have to you have to figure out to get it so that um so that it melts but stays on the pot so because it's because it starts mm. to move when it's melting so sometimes there's just colors move within the glaze and other times the glaze can run off the pot so it's uh the tricky tricky process that's very tricky wow yeah, sounds like it yeah so there's way more to it than just 
let me let, allow me to say this right and just to form the object you afterwards that there's so much more to do yeah. as well right yeah the throwing part's actually the easy part i think <laughs> so throwing it's easy then the trimming gets a little bit tougher and then there's like a little bit of a knack to all of the other steps um glazing was something that was hard for me to figure out because um there was so many different variables like in terms of how long you held it into the pot and how thick the glazes are and um it was a bit of a frustrating process but I kind of hmm. stuck with it and I did take a glazing course at the university which was the very nice. first art course I ever took <laughs> since grade eight <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> since grade eight yes <laughs> And, uh, well worth it yeah yeah so uh, i think i've actually taken that course twice now so okay. um there's i don't know there's never never a stop to the learning that you can do in pottery because there's so many different things that you can do or change to your process so all right yeah that's very true so there's major types right in pottery because this is like an ancient um trait i would almost say oh for sure we yeah yeah, there's um, because it's like it goes back the earliest pieces you can find thirty thousand years ago, something like that. Oh, for sure. There's um, there's actually um, lots of study in pottery just in this area with um, with the indigenous where they uh, dug their own clay and made their own bowls as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. So, okay. yeah, maybe they have them at the Thunder Bay Museum. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I know that. Um, Thunder Bay Art Gallery might even have some of them. I'm not sure if they have any in okay. their collection or not. But um, um, I think that it was might have been more predominantly sort of t along the North Shore, sort of further towards Sault Ste. Marie. But um, but yeah, I'd have to look into it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. That's a very fascinating. I love the design that they have, the lettering and the, the woodwork. I mean, the pottery must look amazing as well. Yeah, well, and I mean, a lot of the pottery that they would have done anywhere back then would have been purely for the purpose of holding foods and liquids, right? So, um, that's yeah, right. Moving water, storing food. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not. I'm not sure at what point it became more decorative, um, mm. and which areas of the world made it more decorative. I, I know like in Korea that they, um, the potters were always trying to make, be selected to make pieces for, um, for the King. Yeah. So they may have been making decorative pottery earlier than other areas of the world. Yeah, that makes sense. And they, they found recently, they found ships too in the Mediterranean sea from Roman time and they found actually um, there's a certain word for it. I think it was then stoneware and it was still sealed and there was the wine was still inside. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Because there's three major types, right? Um, like yeah. porcelain. In pottery? Porcelain, earthenware, or stoneware maybe? Exactly. Yeah. See, I, I tried to look this up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. You probably so, know more than me then. Uh, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> um, so which type would you be then? Um, I would be, um, I guess, a stoneware. 
Okay. Because I earthenware would be like a low fire temperature, um, and um, porcelain is high fired, and then I work with like what they call a mid fire range, which um, which would be stoneware, I guess. Okay. Mm. Does it actually turn into stone then, or is it just the name? Well, that's an interesting um, thing because when you fire the pottery to the like to its higher temperature after you glaze it you're actually what you call vitrifying it which means that like you're making it not porous anymore so it doesn't absorb water if it's fully vitrified properly which i mean you can you can fire um high fire to a low temperature and it just ends up not being vitrified so it would still absorb water but um but it, in a lot of um archaeological digs what you find of civilizations is the pottery because it's essentially stone because it doesn't yeah. uh, it doesn't degrade back into dirt like okay. many other things do like it's not really yeah. organic anymore i guess once you've yeah. fired it yeah, it doesn't break yeah. down anymore so are you, are you familiar with the baghdad battery no i'm not okay so this is an ancient thing that they found in Baghdad, and it was like the first attempt at a battery, and they used uh, a pottery. Oh yeah, for the yeah, because they have a ceramic pot, a tube, a tube of copper, and a rod of iron. And it uh, again, this is it's a mystery of ancient history, but that's what they assume that they tried to do was make a battery using all this. Stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I haven't and heard there, of that. Yeah, and there's also a thing called Greek fire. It was kind of like, um, I mean, ancient history texts say it could never be put out and it would burn hotter, like the hottest thing that they'd ever seen. And it was used in war. And what they would do is they would put it in a little pottery uh, canister. It was like almost like the first grenade. Oh, yeah. And then they would throw it and then it would burst and it would release the chemicals um, and then create almost like a napalm in the middle of battle or burning the enemy ship. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but again, every everything, like in ancient times, was pottery. Like that was used quite prevalent. Yeah. And again, I think I think any, every civilization kind of just dolled up their pots. Like it, it's kind of like an art form. Yeah. Well, right? like once it, you like, get to the point where you have some time on your hands, I guess that's when yeah. you start. Um, you start to make things, I guess, pretty instead of functional, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times you would see, I think, uh, Greek Greek pottery has all those uh, depictions of like battles, and they they would literally paint them on the pots, and they're just pots. Yeah, right? so, almost like um, hieroglyphics. Almost, yeah. They almost told a story, and it was put onto pots. Yeah. I I wonder why they always use the same colors, though, because it's always like oh. this orange, red, and then the black, well, right? I well, it's kind of like. <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, because <laughs> it's uh, oranges and blacks are made by red iron oxide, which is pretty mm. prevalent in dirt in the earth. So, gotcha. Yeah. So okay, so it was a good resource. Yeah. Whereas your um, blues come from cobalt, and your greens come from copper, and your reds come from copper as well. That's um, put mm. through a process of oxidization. I mean, there's other chemicals. But those are your three sort of earthy, most prevalent ones. Um, And red iron oxide would have been, I mean, almost everywhere Mm -hmm. in the earth. So 
I mean, even even here you head towards Nipigon Red Rock and your ground has the red iron oxide right in it, right? So Yeah, even out in Pass Lake when you're driving around, you could tell where they've been because their cars just covered yeah. <laughs> red dirt. Yeah. So so that's why they use the browns and whatnot and is because they had the uh the red iron oxide was cheap and easy well it was i mean i guess not cheap back then because they probably didn't pay for anything but but it was readily available yeah. to them mm-hmm. no i got you yeah that's fascinating thank you and um they can't use colors like from it's like for example there's certain ice cream that uses like um i know that because i had a friend who was vegan and she she had like ice cream and sometimes ice cream is colored by beetle oh okay i'm not making this up I'm not making this yeah. up, okay? And then, well, we yeah, that makes and, sense. And then, so you can't, you wouldn't be able to use that because you would burn. The temperature would be too high, and the color would dissipate. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anything, um, anything that was uh, um, like a natural More plant apparently. dye or anything would would burn yeah. out. Um, definitely by, by like 800 degrees, I guess, for sure. Wow. Do you have a very warm house? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I actually fire my pottery out in the detached garage, so. (laughs) Oh, nice, yeah. It's pretty handy. about venting the off-gassing of anything. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So um, let's talk about those honeypots. Okay. When did you, how long do you have to bake those? Um, okay, so the um, they'll they're in my studio right now, which is incredibly moist <laughs> because of the humidity oh, yeah. right now. So I um, might have to turn a dehumidifier on to <laughs> to dry some of them out. But um, if it was like November, or December, they would have been dry in like a couple hours. Um, oh wow! But in the springtime, um, it's actually it's it's like a blessing and a curse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that the uh that the um air changes so drastically you have to really pay attention to when how fast things are drying because if you want to put an attachment on like the little knob that goes on the top you ha- it has yeah. to be moist enough to still attach attach it so um if it gets if it's too dry then you can't get them to m- meld together the two pieces so um mm-hmm. so right now they're sitting sitting down there slowly drying or maybe absorbing more moisture from the air than they are drying i'm not sure but um but once they dry um to what they call greenware is another term they use um once it's been leather hard they consider it greenware and that means that it hasn't been fired in the kiln yet um but most of the moisture that can escape from it is escaped from it um so it's like dried out um, and at that point, before you put it in the kiln, um, you can always put it back into a bucket of water and use it again. Oh, wow. Um, I actually have a device called a pug mill that I can put, um, all my recycled scraps and stuff into. Um, what is it called? It's yeah. called a pug mill. Like, like the okay. dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. wonder how that name came I up. I have no idea. It looks like a pig actually. So I don't know why they call it a pug mill, but, um. It has augers inside of it that um, that okay, mix the yeah. clay together, and then um, some of them um, have a de-air de- vacuum, so mine has that, um, so I can take the air out of the clay, and then I, um, it 
pugs out into um, in a tube and you can cut it off at whatever length you want um, depending on what you're going to nice. use it for. So, and then, uh, and then it's sort of ready to go. So usually I use my plugged clay to roll out the slabs that I make um, the Lake Superior plates out of. Yes. Um, because it's a little bit drier than straight from the bag. So straight mm. from the bag hmm. is nice and soft. So I usually use that for the throwing. And then, uh, and then I use the scraps and stuff. I put all together and, and make the plates out of that. So, but once, um, once they've dried to what they're going to dry in air, then you put them in the kiln and, um, we actually use like a system called cones and, um, we fire the bisque. I fire mine to cone 04, but um, some people fire theirs to 06, which is a little bit cooler than 04. Um, and then when you get to zero in terms of the cone scale, <laughs> you yeah. you start going up again. So it's like zero and then you, you go from like 02 to 01 to zero and then you go one, two, three, four, five, six, up to 10 or I guess up to 13. Um, so cone... I don't even know if I know the numbers off the top of my head. Cone 04 is, I think, somewhere around 1,300 degrees. Yeah. And that, That's Celsius? Uh, yes. Yeah. And I think wow. so. Um, I always get Celsius and Fahrenheit mixed up because we do, like, the inside of our house in Fahrenheit, and then we do our outside temperature in Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, keep it flexible. I don't know if it's because we like want to confuse the kids that if it's like you know sixty-seven in the house, they they don't know what that means <laughs> in terms yeah. of that it's twenty-one outside. <laughs> it's a good idea. Thing, yeah. It's a good idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, and then um, then once it's bisked, then it has to cool cool after that. Um, there's a point at 900 degrees that's called like quartz inversion when the clay molecules do some fun stuff and they need to line up properly. So you want to cool through that temperature quickly or slowly. And, uh, oh. mm, yeah. and then, um, yeah. then, then you glaze it and then you fire it to, um, in my case, I use cone six is what I fire it to, um, which is hotter than Oh six. <laughs> and, uh, it's I it's not as high as two thousand, I don't think. But mm. I'm not super good with numbers. Oh well. That's still that's so, a, but it's hot. High temperatures. <laughs> yeah, it's hot. Like yeah. it's, very it's hot, hot yeah. enough that you it's nice visibly, and toasty. Vis visibly can see like the colors change in the like the light of the kiln changes. So yeah, when, no, when it's sure. at its yeah. hottest, you'd wear you'd have to wear like eye protection to look into the kiln to yeah. protect your eyes, sure. and everything's wow. like all one color. So like it's all like a reddy orange color, and then very blinding. Yeah, and then when it cools, it um, it the colors sort of lay down as it cools. So that would be really neat to like be able to video <laughs> all the colors laying down like in a in a time lapse or something, but I don't know. I think your yeah. camera would melt. Camera would go <laughs> <Yeah>. gone. <laughs> so one day <laughs> when that technology yeah. is available, that would be cool. Well, as long as you can save the SD card, don't worry about the camera. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, you'd have to have a pretty insane setup for something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think but so. Like be, if a heat shield. It would be pretty cool. Oh, it'd be more than a heat shield. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the internals of the camera would start to melt. Yeah, it would be um, cool to do, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many honeypots does fit in the, let me call it oven? Do you have a proper word for uh, it? What is it called? called? A kiln. K- a kiln. K-I-L-N. Kiln. Okay. Yeah. Kiln. Um, uh, for me... My kiln is like 27 inches deep, I think, and 21 inches wide, and it's like a circle. So, okay. Um, so, the like, I think it's I made size. seven honey pots, and that probably wouldn't fill one kiln shelf. But like, as every time you load the kiln, you build the kiln, so um, so you can put like. Um, if I was making the Lake Superior plates, I would put stilts, three stilts on that shelf that are just one, two inches high. And then I'd put the yeah. kiln down. And then if I put the honey pots on, I would maybe use a five inch um, um, post and then put the kiln shelf on top. So, so you like every time you load the kiln, depending on what you put in it. Um, depends on how full it is so like if i was just doing mm. lake superior plates i think i can put i think our number is 35 or 36 um nice. lake plates that i can i can fit 36 lake plates in the kiln um wow and then but as soon as you get the height of a honey pot that takes away like three shelves or four shelves worth of lake plates so right um kiln kiln space becomes a premium when it comes close to uh sale time <laughs> yeah so does it make a difference if the fuller it is like the clay is baked differently yeah and if you just would put a couple pots in there and then if you have it fully full um, do you find that there's a difference in the baking there would be a difference in the amount of time it would take because um the kiln not only is heating up the kiln air but it's actually heating up all the objects in the kiln so the yeah, it'd be essentially more surface area. Yeah, so the denser it. you have it packed, the longer it takes mm-hmm. to fire. Uh, okay. So yes, so it's pretty well, much like an average cooking. time. Um, yeah, it's a little bit like cooking. Um, the uh, I think right now it takes um, for a bisque load, it takes about fourteen hours, and oh, wow. for a glaze load, I I err on the side of caution because my glazes are a little bit finicky if you fire them too fast. Um, so yeah. if you, you could probably do a glaze load fast firing in five hours, but I think mine takes closer to 10. Wow. This is an electric kiln? Uh, yes, I use, I use, <laughs> wow. I use an electric kiln. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. there, is there any danger to overcooking them? Like I, I'm, I'm not too familiar. Like I deal, I've dealt with metal and heat and things like that, but I'm not too familiar about clay. And things yeah, like if you um, just slightly overcook, your glazes will bubble, um, which mm, would make gotcha. them not food safe. And if you um, super overcook, you're basically, you make a puddle on the kiln shelf. So I've been lucky enough oh. never to have had that happen. <laughs> oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. So it can, oh, like the God. clay can yeah, melt. Yeah, the, the clay, um, that's where your difference between your porcelain, stoneware, and earthenware comes in. If you put earthenware mm. into a stoneware firing and fi- try to fire what's supposed to fire to a cone 04 up to a cone 06, then um, it'll, yeah, basically be a puddle on the kiln shelf, which would be nasty to clean up. 
Oh, for sure. It'd be, yeah, it'd take a long yeah, time. Yeah, you'd have to like chip it and grind it off. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. That's but that's pretty much like your three D printer, Logan. If you would have your resin everywhere. Yep, and then have it in direct sunlight. And yep, <laughs> <laughs> been there, done that. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, resin gets real hard. In direct sunlight. Yeah, it's 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 cured by UV rays. Oh, okay, yeah. So I had the idea uh, to print outside because it was nice. Oh no! And and the I mean, it makes a <laughs> bit of a smell. Like there's a smell to it. So I was like, I'll do it outside. And then from the sheer heat of the sun, cured it. From just the light of the sun, cured it. So it was. I would clean it, and then in the vat where all the other resin is, it would immediately cure. Wow. So I was fighting, <laughs> fighting a losing battle, and it just got everywhere. And there's still a puddle in my driveway oh, that no. uh, reminds me of uh, <laughs> of that time. <laughs> <laughs> Some things just aren't meant to be done outside. Exactly. I, I highly recommend never printing outside in sunlight for any reason. Oh no, not even. Don't even do it outside because you'll get dust. Okay. And dirt and bugs, bugs and all that other stuff. And once, I mean, electronics and dust doesn't mix. Bugs and liquid doesn't mix. And Yes. Yeah. My brother keeps trying to get me to 3D print with the clay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, oh, it would God. be fine with the first item that you 3D printed. But mm-hmm. I, like, I just couldn't imagine keeping the equipment. I know people do it. But for me, yeah. the the work to keep the equipment dust free would I would drive me crazy. I think. Yeah, yeah, it would be. <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah, that but I know here. people who do it, so I guess really? if you're passionate passionate of, enough about it, you don't mind doing what you need to do to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I guess so. How does that work? Three D three D printing of clay. You just use clay instead of resin. Okay. Well, but a different machine, I guess, too. <laughs> yeah, the machine's probably bigger, and it's like probably a hopper. Yeah. You'd have to cram the clay through it, and it extrudes it. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, I've I've heard of it because I mean, they people do um, they build houses with concrete 3D printers, oh, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, so yeah, there's some people out there done. that are doing it, and they're doing it really well. So. So on the well, like anything, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, that's like anything. It took me like a year to figure out my machine, right? And then after that, it's just still been playing around. So. Yeah, yeah. And um, I know, I know some some other um, people use like three D printing to print prototypes, and mm-hmm. then yeah, rapid, um, rapid. Yeah, and then they yeah. and then they like slip cast. They make castings of them, and then they use what's called mm-hmm. slip casting to make the objects to make multiples. So, yeah, they create a mold and then they pump it out that way. Yeah. Is that what you're? Yeah. Different? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. That's. But the then it's not handmade. Well, there's the debate. <sighs> well, it, <laughs> it's. Incredible. I mean, the first one is like as long as you're the creator of said item, I don't see an issue with it. But if you take someone else's work, print it, and then create a mold of it, that that's where I find a big issue. Yeah. Yeah, I think because then you're just you're stealing more like I think it. it actually probably takes more time to design something on a computer to 3D print it to cast it and then to slip cast it than it would to throw it on the wheel so it's I mean it's not like they're 
they're setting themselves up for some kind of yeah. faster production um, system that makes it like an unfair advantage. Um, so, well, I mean, I mean, you don't have to deal with clay. Like in my mind, like it's not messy. It's everything's done on a digital program, but again, it's a different skill set, right? Like, yeah, uh, I can, I can print things. I just don't know how to make things to print. You know? What yeah. I mean? Well, but what they're what they're doing is once they've 3D printed it, then they're making mm-hmm. a cast of it, and then they're making yeah. it out of clay. In the end, so they're still ending up with an end product of clay. <laughs> it's just it's yeah, a it's a big that. process. Are you able to tell the difference? Um, well, I would say yes, because it's more of a mechanical look than a than an organic look but i think you could probably 3d print an organic look as well and people wouldn't okay. know how to tell the difference i mean oh, it, wow. it's always i mean i use different methods when i make my products and sometimes i extrude um my pieces through an extruder which is similar to when you take play-doh and put it through your mm-hmm. little containers that make like hair and stuff and spaghetti like the pasta making Play-Doh set. Um, and so I'm using it, like a hollow die that you end up with like a cylinder or a rectangle or a, or a hexagon. Um, and sometimes depending on what I do with it after I've extruded that, you might not be able to tell whether I made it on the wheel or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it saves time though, too. Like for you to do all that by hand is... Like imagine doing a cube by hand for clay, right? Yeah, like... yeah. Certain certain shapes don't make sense to um, to try to make on a wheel. So mm-hmm. it just depends on what you're doing. Like the little um, he- I did hexagon tea light holders for mm-hmm. um, for hair on house handmade. Um, she does bee she's does beeswax candles, oh, cool. um, and. Uh, and yeah, so they were super cute, but they were extruded um, through an extruder. But it like it still comes out without a bottom, so you still have to right, put a bottom yeah. onto it. So it's it's not faster um, than than throwing something on the wheel. It's it's still still pretty labor intensive. What is your favorite part of the pottery then the process? Um, I like to. Um, I'm not sure what my favorite part is. I like to throw knobs. <laughs> sounds funny, but <laughs> I like to throw. You like to throw knobs. Like to throw the little knobs on the tops of the honey pots. <laughs> oh, like I got gotcha. you. Okay. To throw. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's even better if I have yeah. someone who's plucking them off the wheel for me, <laughs> so that I don't have to clean my hands in between each one. Yes. Yeah, a little bit more of a production line. Yeah, I'm like, just stand there and every time I cut this off, lift it up. (laughs) Sometimes I can convince my kids or my husband to do it for me (laughs) so I can make them faster. Yeah, it helps, yeah. But I I use them for the backs of my cookie stamps that I make. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll make like 200 cookie stamps at one time. So it's not so bad when (laughs) I make seven honey pots to throw the the little knobs for them, but... uh, but if I'm wow. making 200 cookie stamps, it's nice to have someone standing there to, to take them off. Because yeah. when you throw them, your hands get 
clay liquid slippery clay on them but in order to actually lift them off of the wheel you have to have dry hands <laughs> so you have to like throw one dry your hands lift it off so yeah. it just makes yeah, it fast super annoying yeah that's that's big production yeah i do some things in big in big batches sometimes i, I like working in big batches it's um easier for me than wrapping my brain around sitting down and throwing a bowl and then a cup and then a plate and then a honey pot and yeah. um that makes some sense. people can do it and they do it really well um but i find that i need to really like focus when i'm on the wheel yeah. to know what my brain needs to be in the same space as my hands in order to throw a certain shape so um, maybe with time, I might be able to sit down and throw multiple things. But um, as of right now, I like to know what I'm going to throw and have it in my brain and my hands doing the same thing. So, mm. Are you at the point where you, when you do a big production and you just produce, are you still thinking about what you're doing or is it just happening? Oh, yeah. No, you definitely have to keep thinking about it because I, I know if I... If I go into the studio and I take a bag of clay with me and I make like 21 pound balls and I'm going to throw mugs out of them, I, uh, as soon as my mind starts to wander, they don't turn into mugs anymore. <laughs> I got you, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like all of a sudden you have these weird cylinders that are either too tall or too fat or too skinny or too wide, or you have a bowl all of a sudden. So that's when I know it's time for a lunch break. Okay. I love the gotcha, terminology. Yeah. I'm going to throw some mugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Each, each uh, trade has their own lingo and own talking point, right? Yeah. They have their own way of saying things. It's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Like welding, like welding has tons. Like I was a welder for five years. Like there's, there's so many things that, <laughs> and again, it's, it's, <laughs> they can be funny too, right? So Definitely. They kind of spill into other, Uh, more adult scenarios too. So uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, yeah. I wanted to highlight this piece you made, the uh, Norse Now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we put that on the cover too for everybody who, and you have it on Instagram, of course, as well. Can right. you tell it's us? My, yeah, it's my. Um, I think it's my my main picture there. Yes. Like, like whatever you call it. What do you even call that? Oh. My profile picture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. That's right. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. That's all good. Yeah, they don't. Um, yeah. Go. Anyways, it's um, it's a piece that is um, a vase, a mug, and a covered sugar jar that are combined to get cut apart and combined together to make a functional teapot. Okay. Um, so it's called. The title of it is called "We Can Work Through Our Differences." Ah. Cool. And so it's, um, I don't know, I guess to highlight um, mm. different either types of people, groups of people, generations of people, different political parties, different, um, I don't know, views or opinions, um, different generations, did I say that? Yeah. Um, trying, trying to come together to, um, to create an understanding. And um, so it might be a little messy so it's like not supposed to be perfect mm -hmm. um but but the idea is in the end um it's still a functional teapot so 
that's where I was coming from when I made that piece. Yeah, it works together, right? Yeah. I love it. I didn't, and I, I love your explanation. Thank you. You're welcome. And that is it still at the Sunday Art Gallery? Uh, it's not, actually. I have that piece at home. Okay. So the, that exhibit was, I think they took it down in, was it the beginning of March, maybe? Yeah, I think it came down the beginning of March. I don't know, it feels like a century ago now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's a okay. different time. Yeah, for sure. It's a different place, a different year. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's the, that's my explanation of that piece. I like it. And then for anybody who wants to see it, just go to Instagram, Pots to Go. You find it, just scroll down a little bit. Or you check out the episode cover, but you have to see it and how the picture is, right? Yeah, I think there's also a picture of my husband and I standing beside it somewhere on there. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, with the, yeah. The, yeah, the piece is right next to it. I like it. Okay, I, um, I had one more question here. The, the spinner, is that the correct term? Spinner, the wheel. Yeah, the wheel. The sun. The wheel. The wheel. I got it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's a wheel. The wheel. Now, in ancient times, this was powered in by by the foot. Uh, yeah, there would have been um, mm. a kick wheel, which I actually have a kick wheel. I started ah. I, when I first when I first um, started here in Thunder Bay. My first wheel was a kick wheel. Okay. Um, and uh, so it's like how do you a, get a, one that I how do you, how do you get a kick wheel? This is just like very rare to get, or you can buy them still brand new. Oh no, no, you can still buy them brand new. But the one that I have was made during a workshop. I don't know, probably forty years ago now, um, at the at the um, that the Thunder Bay Potters Guild had at the uh, university. Mm. So there was, I think, at one time there was probably like fifteen of them made in a workshop. Okay. So there, there's a couple of them kicking around still. Cool. But uh, the one that I have is a um, giant cement disc. A giant. <laughs> it's like huge cement disc. So yeah. can you... It's like, um, and then, uh, then there's a post, and then there's a wheel head at the top, and then like the whole disc and the wheel head is built into a um, a box that's like like a wooden box that's like a meter by a meter. <laughs> So oh, wow. it's a big wooden box with a wheel inside. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so the the box has a seat that's adjustable on it, and uh, and so you sit on the seat, and then um, there's there's two wooden pieces that you can put your legs on, and then you can use your one one leg to kick it, and then usually when you're throwing, you're not actively kicking it. So you usually kick the wheel to a certain speed, and then you throw, and it slows down a little bit. But the counterbalance weight of that cement block spins it pretty good. So um, ah, okay. when I actually had two of them at one point um, and in my studio and when my son was in kindergarten, I had committed to a, um, a Christmas show, the December Dreams sale. 
and he decided he didn't particularly like school very much. <laughs> yeah, who does like school? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so um, I panicked a little bit because I had committed to this sale in December or in, I guess, yeah, it was the first week of December, or the last week of November. And um, mm-hmm. here we are, like, Remembrance Day, I think it was, and, and he didn't want to go to school anymore. And I had to, I had <laughs> to make these pots for this sale. And, um, and so I put him on the one wheel and gave him clay on the wheel head. And he, <laughs> he was, like, what, four or five or something. And he would, like, stand on the one <laughs> base and he'd run. <laughs> in place <laughs> and then he'd jump yeah. up and then he'd play with the clay <laughs> okay yeah and I, i'm sitting there trying to throw and like fingers crossed that he's not gonna fly himself across the room <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, there's lots of weight and momentum yeah. behind that yeah. <laughs> but he used to build little know, caverns and stuff on the top of the wheelhead and then he'd fill it with water and then he'd wait until it all because the water would break the clay down so then he'd wait until it all broke it down and then he'd rebuild it and um, oh, yeah. the uh actually the the um audiobook the chronicles of narnia yeah okay yeah, yeah. was um was what kept him in the studio because <laughs> he listened to that during the time and it was the only thing that I could get him to stay in the studio is if he was listening to that audiobook because it was just I mean I don't know if you've ever heard it it's just fascinating to listen to mm. yeah. I read the book so, yeah the audiobook is awesome it is okay yeah so I mean he, yeah, he was just five it, I think, and he last sat there year? and listened to it so yeah well that was like I don't know when I was a kid that was like one of the first cartoons I remember and even then it was like really bad <laughs> but it was like really cool that they went into a closet and yeah all that so. yeah yeah it's a good story so yeah yeah so anyways that's what that's that's my kick wheel story i love it <laughs> love it and i have one more here i'm sorry the you you adding sugar to it what does that do oh that's the video that the with the fire yeah is that the one you're referring yeah. to? Um, so those are low-fired pots, um, which would be your earthenware. They um, they're not functional. They won't hold water because the like you can put water in them. It won't harm them, but the water would seep through them eventually because they're um, they're not fired high enough to um, be what they they uh, call vitrified. So um, so what I do with those ones is I put them in the kiln. And um, I bring them up to close to a bisque temperature, um, somewhere around, um, I don't know, 1300 degrees. And then um, when they get to the 900 degrees, just below 900, when they've done their little quartz inversion, um, then you pull them out hot. And Mm -hmm. the lines on the pots that you can see are um, horsehair. Okay. And so you burn the horsehair onto them when they're hot and the horsehair sort of, it sort of dances on the pot. It's actually really, really fun to do. Um, And then sugar leaves um, little dots and specks on the pot. So um, the video that's on there is me putting, dropping sugar into the inside because if you drop enough of it, it'll ignite and um, it's pretty cool. Just sort of that entertaining, cool. but also for the aesthetic of the dots along with the horsehair. Yeah, I like it. So that's a good yeah, explanation. I, I haven't made those in a while, but um, I 
make them. I used to make one batch every spring was sort of my treat when I reopened my studio. That was always the first thing I did was throw cylinders and do a horsehair firing. But um, I actually didn't close my studio this winter. I've worked right worked right through. So very nice. I haven't gotten to the horsehair firing. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got that reward yet. Yep. Not yet. Maybe a little bit later. Yeah, maybe I'll do it in the summer. Yeah. Okay, so that's all. When school's done. That's the questions I had, Logan. If you had any more. No, I think you covered quite a lot there. So. Good. That's cool. interesting. Did we miss anything, Crystal, or do you, um, do you think we covered goods? Oh, we could probably talk for days, but okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I <laughs> I do, for Logan's sake, um, have some three D printing stuff that I use in my studio. Um, oh, cool! I have some three D printed stamps that are particularly mm. nice to use because they don't have um, the square outside that a rubber stamp would have. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you press into the clay, it's different than pressing on paper because when you press on paper, you are it's like a flat, hard surface. So when you press into yeah. the clay, um, the stamps can go sort of into it. I don't know if I have any pictures they'll, on They'll cut head. into it, eh, rather than yeah. spread it around. Yeah. So, yeah. so I have some specifically made. Yeah. I think the ones that I have were made um, in the UK by a 3D oh, cool. printing company, pottery company there, that are also potters. And so they made these 3D printed tools specifically for that reason, yeah, to not have the square on the no, outside. It's, it, it's awesome just because like you, you can boot up a program put in these insane angles if you want or like for you or for your instance you can get rid of things as well like that backing mm -hmm. on a stamp and then print it and then use it as a device like it's, yeah 3d printing is changing uh, the way the industry yeah. is all industries and then i so, i also really have nice. some cookie cutters that i designed myself nice that yeah. i had 3d printed and um one of them is actually the shampoo conditioner bar shape that i sell that lovely body sells i don't know if you've they're mm -hmm. definitely on my feed there okay. that um that are they're like i don't know almost like a figure eight shape but i was cutting them by hand and oh, God, and yeah. um which was fine when you made 20 of them right um yeah. but then when she started ordering them in batches of 100 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I was yeah. like, something's gotta change. <laughs> yeah. So I um I got some three D printed shapes, so that made it easier. And when you use the the um cutter to cut them like a cookie cutter mm -hmm. as opposed to cutting them with uh we usually I usually use a pin tool, uh, which is basically a pin. And uh it, it makes it easier to smooth the outsides and stuff, so it just streamlines the process so much better. So, yeah. so I, I, I do well, use good, yeah. 3D printing in what I, in what I do. I appreciate the 3D printing in that aspect. Yeah, no, it, it, well, it combines like the, like I said, like the hard angles that computers can generate with uh, physical models. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. There you go. <laughs> you can move on. Boom. You <laughs> I not know if you guys guys. Just wanted to, wanted to include Logan in there. No, I know. <laughs> 3D yeah, print. It's almost like cool. pottery used to be the 3D printing of the ancient times, and now it's like different. Well, yeah, it's like it's well, it's like base tech, right? We started beating rocks together um, to create 
miniature knives and then work mm-hmm. their way up, right? Yeah, yeah. But exactly. it's still a trade in an art form too, right? Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It it could even be like a lost art. Like I'm sure some some knowledge has been lost along the way as well. Could be. Yeah, would you? Would should we should do the sayings now? I think. I gave Crystal the heads okay. up, and uh, Logan, do you want to start today? Uh, hold on. Holding. Sure. Uh, I've been making notes of all these sayings that I've been saying. Just opening up my phone. Oh, here, here is an interesting one I heard. Um, I'm not too sure where this came from, but it's six of one, twelve of the other. Okay, that's like a dozen. Uh, um, no, no. Six of no, one. It's just half kind of... dozen of the other. No, no, it, it's not. It, it has nothing to do with the quantity. It's just either choice I make, it doesn't matter. Um, it's going to end up the same way type deal. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm locked into this spot. So if I go left, I'm screwed over. If I go right, I'm screwed over. So it, it's just kind of like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Who cares what I'm saying? It's just, this is it. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Do you want me to do mine? Sure. Okay. I thought you stole mine the other what? day when I was listening to one of your podcasts. I stole it? Because you were, <laughs> you, no, you didn't. You were talking about ghosts. Okay. And I was like, oh no. Oh man. He's going to steal my thing. <laughs> Them <laughs> goats. Apparently, yeah. there's a lot of sayings about goats. That's <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. So, anyways, um, my dad was in the horse, horse racing business when he was growing up. And so this one's mm-hmm. something that, that um, I don't know if he said it a lot, but it's something that I remember because of that. Um, so to get someone's goat. Yeah, yeah. Get your goat. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the origin of that is when, um, when people were racing horses, they thought that goats had a calming effect on okay. them. And so the high-strung thoroughbreds, they'd put a goat in the stable with the horse in the stall the oh, night before okay. a race. And then, you know, your unscrupulous opponent would steal the goat to upset the horse and cause it to lose the race. <laughs> so that's where the saying oh, to get someone's goat came from. That's so yeah, cool. There's a soccer team in Germany, the Cologne. In Cologne, they have a goat as their mascot. Yeah. It's interesting. That's a good saying. I like it. But see, I, I interpret it as, a, yeah, like a different way. Like, oh, you got your goat. Like, you annoyed the bejesus out of you. Yeah, well, and that's what it is. Yeah, I think uh, that's what it refers yeah. to nowadays is that that um, that if you get someone's goat, it means you irritated them. Yeah, or you just yeah. literally took it. <laughs> <laughs> or literally took their goat. <laughs> okay, I, I'm... Which might irritate them. Yeah. Although, I don't know. If you've ever had a goat, you might be happy it's gone. Uh, it it, it it's, eats everything and you can, you can make cheese, right? Yes. I think yes. It's, it's not a bad deal. Yeah. Not a bad deal unless it starts eating the bumper of your car. Oh. <laughs> or your fence. Yeah. Or your garbage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or standing on your car. Yeah. But... Oh, God, yeah. Well, they, they some goats can, like, traverse sheer cliff faces. Exactly. That's crazy. It's just insane. Yeah. yeah, we used to have yeah. chickens in the country when I was living in the country. And I was contemplating to get a, a goat as well. But we didn't do it. Mm. Okay. My saying, I say it first in German and then I translate it. Darauf kannst du Gift nehmen. And you can take poison on that. 
Oh. <laughs> Which means, okay. and so that's translated word by word, and then it means you can bet on it. It's pretty much oh. like the white poison because it's just it's the, guaranteed. Yeah, it's like you if you take poison, you're gonna die. So right. the thing I'm gonna mm. yeah, go ahead. It's a, so it's a guarantee. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna die. <laughs> well. <laughs> okay. So, that's my That's saying. Direct into the point. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> it's either way, it's about the sausages or meat or about those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I talked to you, Crystal, earlier when we talked on Instagram, you posted a story of the International Space Station. Um, yeah, I actually posted a picture of the International Space Station going overhead. Actually, Actually, you did, yes. Yes, because, yeah, which was so cool because it went by so fast. (laughs) It was hard to imagine that they were, like, looking at us. And (laughs) we were like, whoa, there goes. (laughs) Yeah. How did you find it? How did we find it in the sky? Um, My husband's nickname's Eagle Eye for a good reason. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Okay, yeah. First, he researched where it was going to be, <laughs> and then we sort of thought it would be more on the horizon, and that we might not see it because of the trees. But it actually mm. like went over like a rainbow, oh. like overhead, as if yeah. it was a rainbow yeah, starting on one yeah. horizon and going to the other horizon. So that that surprised me for whatever reason. I don't know. In my mind, I thought it would be along the tree line, <laughs> but thankfully, I was not the only one looking for it. I love it. Supposedly, they do 60 times around the Earth in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, we were listening to a talk by um, Chris Hatfield, and uh, he was talking about um, surviving isolation and sort of your mental state and stuff. And yeah. he, um, he, he said that setting goals for the day and, um, and having, like, things to do and a routine helped. And so when he was on the, um, when he was on the, on, when he was rotating by himself, (laughs) um, he's sorry, I know words don't always come easily. Um, he, like one of his goals was like to take a picture of this place in Australia that really fascinated him. (laughs) So it was kind of neat to, that he would, was talking about just, yeah, how many times it rotates and what he could see and. That was mm-hmm. cool. It's interesting to get the perspective too from professionals that are like trained to work in isolation and they they need to work on this as well, right? It's not easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it wasn't even if you choose to be in isolation, it's still not yes. easy. And there is there's a lot of training and you might do good, but there's always practice or new things that come up. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And like the daily emotional roller coaster of the fact that like it's not it's not easy <laughs> so yeah would... that was that that part was interesting that like somebody was like like somebody had asked i think whether they uh whether they whether he like wanted to quit sort of thing and like wished he was coming home and his answer was like yeah on a daily basis <laughs> oh wow okay yeah that's a very strong desire yeah yeah so it's interesting that's just the emotions that you go it through. It makes sense. It's like homesickness, right? 
Right. Yeah. Like when my parents, they sent me on, um, when I lived in Germany, they sent me to England for like English language courses because I was, I didn't like school. And, um, I, I went and it was good, but I, I felt homesick. Yeah. Because that's like your place of safety. That's where you connect and that's where you know people. Yeah, it's one thing to be isolated in a safe place, but to be isolated somewhere that's unfamiliar is even a different situation. Especially all by yourself and you're the only person. Yeah, (laughs) well, and the fact that like every moment is dangerous too, like when you're out in space anyways. Um, It's not, it's not like he can be like, okay, I'm done with this. (laughs) I'm just going to drive home. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be so aware. There's no, no, there is nowhere to go. Just get in the capsule. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, congratulations to SpaceX on the um, Dragon crew launch. Two astronauts from uh, Florida flew up on Saturday. So they made it all safe and they're at the ISS now. Mm-hmm. That all happened and that's history now. It's history now. It yes. What's the mm-hmm. 2024? They want to send a woman and a man to the moon. Yeah. I read. So first woman and next man, I think they titled it. Oh, yeah. So 2024, that's coming pretty fast. It is. And SpaceX also had a um, special occasion. They used uh, boost the rocket for the first time five times and with five successful landings, of course, as well. So that just happened yeah. yesterday or so because they launched another um, rocket up to for the satellite links. Starlink, there you go. So that's a big milestone as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crystal, yeah. if you would want to go to the moon or the bottom of the sea for a day, you can't bring anybody and you would survive and it would be a good experience. Where would you go and why? Definitely the moon. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely grew up wanting to be an astronaut. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I cool. didn't know what I wanted to be as a kid. I don't think I really did either, but I was pretty fascinated by like the Northern Lights and space in general. In high school, I did my biology projects were on biodomes and yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> biodomes. <laughs> Just remember the movie. Yeah, yeah, we used that in our presentation. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm not familiar with it. Such a weird I'm movie. I'm not even oh, sure God, I had seen just... the movie before I did the presentation, Ugh. but um, I saw bits of it while I was making my presentation. <laughs> yeah, basically it had Pauly Shore yeah. in it, and then he was playing himself, and and he's trapped in a biodome. Like, yeah, like by accident. He can't or get something. out. Yeah, yeah, they wander in because they're like supposed to be protesting something yeah, i can't remember I, so but... it sounds sounds sort of familiar but like i said i'm not sure i ever yeah. watched the whole show but just the concept of yeah. you know creating a, a an ecosystem that yeah. you can survive off of it's fascinating was what we were yeah and then when we had to do a presentation we found the movie i think <laughs> stumbled across it not searching the internet because there was no internet then yeah that made things a bit harder back then <laughs> harder and almost easier like we didn't have to sift through all of the weird useless unusual well, stuff the, 
yeah the fake news yeah. or like the weird websites yeah you know? we didn't have to like know that our source was viable all sources that were provided to us were viable that's crazy yeah. so just different mm-hmm. did you know, i don't know if you came across that logan too uh, there's a stadium-sized asteroid that's just whipping whizzing by the earth uh on saturday next this week Ooh. it's gonna fly by on saturday and it's um it's gonna come 3.16 million miles close to earth so will we be able to okay. see it that's a good with a naked um eye. that's a good question maybe you maybe your husband can see it <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of you <laughs> Oh, okay. So the moon from the distance from the moon is only three hundred eighty-four thousand kilometers. It's very so close. That's that's really it's really far okay, away. Yeah. Asteroid, so maybe. in space terms, it's pretty close. It's it is, but <laughs> okay. it isn't. You know. I I will Logan. You're right. That's totally fine. <laughs> well, I mean, th- th- no, like three point million miles. Like that's insane. And you guys re- remind me of the quote from the uh, Ender's game where the teacher is like, come on, guys, this is just basic rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just basic rocket science. <laughs> That's so funny. So to give you some perspective, the circumference, so the, like, the, the Earth circumference is only 40,000 kilometers. Okay. Like three point whatever million miles is insane yeah 3.16 yeah it's insane they caught it they saw it because it's bigger than a football field well for sure yeah they'll see it who knows uh-huh. if we'll see it that's the oh, thing. i'm sure crystal will let us know <laughs> <laughs> i'll do some research <laughs> okay um on a side note for local news this week uh, the moose hall has a gofundme page they just launched that on TBA Newswatch. If you guys want to check that out, they uh, they have their GoFundMe page, and I thought I'd share this along. So just look that up on the internet. Yeah. Like to support the holiday. Yeah, they, they've been closed since March, right? Do what everything is going on, yeah. and they still have to pay for the yeah. utilities, and there's um, a certain amount that they have to pay monthly, and he's trying to cut it back as much as he can, but he can't cut it any further back. And because they are all uh, volunteer-driven, they are not qualified for the government funding. Right. Yeah. So then now for them to reach out, they've been in the here in Thunder Bay for 70 years. And um, they Mm want to continue and they are reaching out to the community. So I just thought I'd bring this up to anybody who listens. Go Mm -hmm. check that out. Yeah. And that's all the topics I have this week. Logan, did you have anything? Uh, the only thing I came across is that uh, the U.S. military is starting to test out some lasers to shoot okay. down drones. Oh, they don't like well, electro I mean, waves. Hmm. It's a good question. No, it just has a laser capable of shooting out a, a flying drone. Um, so I mean, you have to realize that the drones are so small and so cheaply made that they could be used to really interfere with. The large vessels mm-hmm. like these are coming from um ships that are out in the water and uh i think in russia uh, a couple months back there was actually 
a quote unquote drone attack, but it all it did was it would pop up out of the fields in an airport, like a a, a uh, just a normal airport, and it, it shut the whole airport down because the potential for an airplane to run into a drone during flight is catastrophic. Yeah, like hitting a bird. So, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So they have developed a laser beam that just hits it and I guess disables it and makes it fall down to the That's ground. That's good. I think you can also like jam the yeah. um, the transmission from the remote to the device too, right? Yeah, but now you're getting into uh, disrupting okay. like, cell phone service and things like that. And if, if they find out you're doing that, uh, like usually the cops show up and stuff like that. Like <laughs> there's, there's usually things, the consequences that come along with yeah. it. So this this would be a bit more of a it could like judging by the size of this thing it looks like it is like a, a battery mounted weapon on a ship but maybe eventually it could be like a little handheld thing and you just see a drone and people could just zap it but again what could it do to planes <laughs> like, yeah well that's why we have really strict yeah. regulations in Canada right yeah yep. but you have to follow it though right so you could buy a drone off the shelf and it doesn't True. matter. You know I'm I mean? sure they there's a way to come and get you though. <laughs> you sure. Know? Uh that's that's my two cents yeah. on that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, well we are 72 minutes in. Oh, yeah. uh, we're a little bit over the hour. Uh, Crystal, did you have anything else that you thought you wanted to share along? Uh no, I think I'm okay. good. Do you want to do a little shout out? where people can find you in case they um, want to check out all your stuff that you have. <laughs> That's a pretty complicated shout out. I, I, I don't, um, I sell from so many different places under so many different situations that um, I guess maybe it's just best to go to my uh, pots to go oh, on that's Instagram a good idea. and the, uh, the, um, yeah. the O's are zeros, not O's. does that make sense so it's p zero t s two g zero so i think all you have to type in is the p and the zero and you probably will Mm -hmm. pop up um because it's based on my uh, postal code so you know letter number letter number letter number is that the actual postal code that is my actual postal code yes cool that's amazing oh nice (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's it's not why we live here <laughs> yeah that was my next question did you move because of this <laughs> I moved here just because yeah. the postal code was five ago. No, <laughs> it's death yeah. can't move now you have to stay there uh, I, I, I'm finicky enough that if I move I'll just change my name again I've, I've been several other names in the past so <laughs> oh, I gotcha. so I'm not committed to staying here for life just because my business name matches my postal code no, that makes sense. It's good to be open. But yeah, for now. It's good to be to leave things open and to appreciate what we have now and what we can do. Mm-hmm, for sure. I like that. And I will tag you on the post that asked by the Giants. If, uh, and then there, you can just click on that too if you can't find Crystal. But you should be able to really easy. And right. this episode 63 is a wrap. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Crystal, for being on the show. It's an honor talking to you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, and then I uh, wish everybody good night. Okay. Night.